This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And for listeners, I'm sorry you haven't been here earlier because you, you've missed lines like, I'm going to go spray again, and something to do with the cat box. And something, <laughs> this is not, these are not farm stories. These are just like, Pets, pets on the farm stories. <laughs> so what's going on, Taylor? <laughs> it's raining and the big dogs outside, even though they like when it's snowing or whether they're happy as can be, the temperatures are starting to drop. They don't like being in the rain. And so they'll come and sit on the front porch while it's raining. Well, one of them was sitting right in front of the door. And I guess he was like scratching himself or I don't know what. And so the front door is just like, and, um, and so the inside dog starts barking and the inside cats start running around going like, what's going on? And like, even now, as I I'm talking, I see these two little ears peeking up from behind my computer monitor. So one of the cats is hiding in the desk. And so I went and I shoot him away. Like, okay, get away from the front door. There's plenty of porch space for you to go elsewhere. And I close the door and I come back and I sit down and here it goes again. So I was like, fine, I'm going to get a water bottle. I'm going to spray him and see if I can get him to go away. The same way that I do with the cats, get them to stop doing stuff. They can get to the water bottle and I spray him. And he looks at me like, are you kidding me? You did what? And he just gets up and lopes off and just gives me a dirty look. It keeps on going. And then as soon as that gets settled, one of the other one goes off on a barking spree. So who knows what? what's going to turn up yeah and the most recent parking spree taylor's like i wonder what that is and you apparently went to look out the window and the dog is just sitting out in the yard somewhere barking at staring the off into space yeah just barking like i saw something a quarter mile of the way i just want to make sure it knows not to mess with me i guess i don't know <laughs> And thank goodness we have some listener questions for today because otherwise we'd be talking about dogs and cats for the rest of the show and goats and geese, whatever. Yes. No, we have, I'm just over the moon happy here that um, we got some great questions in from longtime listener, sometime sometimes contributor MZ Lowe. And it's a topic that we haven't really spent much time talking about before. And it has to do with that first sentence, the book's first sentence. So she sent like, four or five questions and I'm going to answer them to the best of my ability. But then I thought we could go one step further and sort of look at a few book openings and just talk about them and analyze them. What works, what doesn't. Anyway, that's, that's what I, that's what we're going to do today. Can I just say, I love, I love this topic. I, I have read a few blog posts where they talk about book openings, like first sentence of books kind of things. And they, those, those posts always suck me in. So I'm really anxious to hear what you have. <laughs> Goody. And we also have some listener uh, feedback, but I'm going to save that for the next episode. Um, 
because it talks about some of our prior uh, discussions and I thought it was really fun, but I don't think we're gonna be able to fit it all in on this one. So we're just gonna do these questions on first sentences, etc. So here's the first question. What's your take on a book's first sentence and first page? Is the first sentence really that critical? Or would you say it's more like the first 50 to 100 words? It always seems like there's this huge emphasis on this first magical sentence. So here's where I come from on that, is that the first sentence matters, but I think the first paragraph and the first page matter more. But you can't get to the first page without the first paragraph, and you can't get to the first paragraph without the first sentence. And so in that regard, the first sentence matters most because if you start out wrong, it's harder to correct it down the line. And so for that reason, the first sentence matters most, but not for the reasons that most people attribute it to, it matters most because that's how everything begins. And we can talk about that more in a little bit when we're actually looking at a few examples of book openings. So then the next question is, did you have editors change your first sentence of books or do you have any stories or insights from past books? So I've never had an editor change my opening sentences, but I have changed them so many times. So I've talked about this before on the show with The Informationist, how the prologue, which is, it opens with a prologue, was one of the last things that I wrote. I mean, I had written it originally, but I came back and rewrote it. And how it starts now is not how it started originally, just in cleaning up, getting the the first sentence correct, the first paragraph correct, just how it starts. And the same is true for the first chapter in The Informationist, the way that it opens is not how it originally was. And I basically do the same thing that that holds true for every book I've written. I, I go back and I rewrite and I rewrite those opening, I'd say the opening paragraphs, and then maybe the opening chapter. And the story I'm working on right now, which is the next Monroe story that's been ongoing for forever, uh, I have probably changed the opening lines like 40 times now. And it's always just small tweaks of trying to get the cadence and the content to read right. But in some of the books, it might have been where I was just not starting the story in the right place or starting it in the right frame of mind. And I do change that type of firsts throughout the book multiple times as new chapters come along and I feel like I didn't split it in the right place or I didn't open it correctly I will go back and change those as well and uh, but as far as the one that I'm working on right now that is continually changing um, I'm gonna include that later in terms of how a book opens and we can discuss that so the next question is with respect to crafting the perfect sentence, what makes it different compared to the first sentence in later chapters? Do you have any hack the craft tips? So on this specific subject, I haven't really thought about it enough specifically to have developed any hacks, but I do have thoughts on why the first sentence in the first chapter is different from the first sentence in later chapters. And that has to do with the term in medias res, which I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It is old Latin, I guess. 
and I'll, I'll give the definition in a second, but my definition is different because in my definition, every story starts in media fest. That's not what the technical definition of it is. And the technical definition as per Wikipedia is as follows. Sorry, I had to pause because my cat decided to come out from behind. <laughs> He's slinking <laughs> across my desk. We so, warned you. <laughs> according to Wikipedia, a narrative work begins in media rest, which means into the middle of things. It's opening in the midst of a plot. So often exposition is bypassed and filled in gradually through dialogue, flashbacks, or description of past events. For example, Hamlet begins after the death of Hamlet's father. Characters make reference to King Hamlet's death without the plot's first establishment of said fact. And since the play is about Hamlet and the revenge more so than the motivation, Shakespeare uses in medias rest to bypass super, superfluous exposition. So that's how Wikipedia starts off that explanation. But the reason why I say that by my definition, every story starts in media's rest is because unless it's a story that begins at the beginning of time, there's always something that came before whatever this story is that would have a bearing on it or influence whatever's taking place. And without knowing those details, the story itself won't quite make sense. So like, Say, for example, there's a story that starts with the birth of a protagonist. So you might wonder, well, if this story starts with the baby being born, how is that opening in the middle of the plot? So by the technical definition, it probably isn't. But if you look a little further, it becomes pretty obvious that that child's upbringing and relationship with their parents and what advantages or obstacles they had in life, by necessity, it's going to play a role in the story because it's going to form who that character is and how they became what they are. So even a child that's dropped off on convent doorsteps in the dead of night on the night that they're born is still going to have a history that's going to play into the story. It's just not a known history. So what I'm saying here is that no story exists in a vacuum. There's always going to be elements that sit outside the story's bookends that are going to influence the story itself. And it would be difficult, if not impossible, to articulate the story and build the characters and make them who they are without bringing those details into the story at some point. And it's because of all of that, that by my own definition, every story starts in media's rest. And that's what separates that first chapter from all subsequent chapters. Because by the time the audience hits chapter two, they already have sort of a sense of the story and its characters, however small that sense may be. They, they're going into subsequent chapters with some information already, but that first chapter, they've got nothing. And so that first sentence, that first paragraph, that first page, it has to convey at least enough for the audience to feel that they want to find out more about who these people are, about this situation they've found themselves in. And if by the end of that first page, there's not even enough for the audience to have even the slightest sense of curiosity about what happens next, I mean, you're kind of screwed. So that is why there's so much focus on that opening sequence. And why 
the first sentence, there's so much emphasis on that first sentence. It's not that the first sentence itself is so important. It's that that's where it begins and that's how it starts. And if you start off wrong or you just don't have enough there to drag in the audience, they're not going to be interested in seeing where you take it further. That is the difference between also chapter one, chapter two, moving forward. So you get a lot more leeway on chapters that are deeper into the book because by that time, your audience is already invested. They just want the story. Just give me the story. So the next question that MZ asks is, I remember a couple of episodes you've done about a checklist of things to get in the beginning of chapters and the order but I don't remember you doing one specifically on the first chapter. Is there anything different or additional? To which I say, yes, yes, there is something different. Not in a hack the crafty kind of way, but in a mindset kind of way. And it, it ties into what we were just talking about a few seconds ago. So the first chapter differs in two ways and both have to do with that blank mental slate that accompanies the start of a new story. So like I was saying, prior to that opening sentence, paragraph, chapter, the audience has nothing to draw on. There's no mental movie, no story pieces to hold in memory, and no specific set of expectations. So your audience may have read the book blurb. A lot of readers don't. But that doesn't guarantee that they remember what that book blurb says by the time they start reading. And then there's also the issue that book blurbs are really not very good representations of what truly lies between the covers of the books. At best, it's going to give somebody who's reading it maybe a general sense of the genre, maybe a glimpse at the characters. But personally, I have yet to find a book blurb synopsis thingy that does proper justice to the story itself. So except for that potentially very broad sort of concept of the story, and maybe in the case of an existing series or continuing characters, whatever's known about that author's style or their character history, the audience is coming to the story completely blank. So the first thing that's going to differ between the opening sentence, paragraph, page, et cetera, and the later ones is while you do need all of those same critical elements, you have a lot more wiggle room in terms of what order you put them in, how long you can take before getting them onto the page and so forth. And the second thing that differs is that Your first sentence, first paragraph, first page, that is your one shot at wooing the reader to convince them that your book is the one that they want to spend time with. So that matters because with the way that books are sold today, there's an incredibly high probability that if someone is holding your book in their hands, they picked it up because. A, they have read and enjoyed your previous work, or B, it was recommended to them by a librarian, friend, algorithm based on their existing reading preferences. So 
they're holding it knowing that at least it kind of sort of matches their genre or their area of interest or C they picked it up randomly or scrolled through it randomly while browsing bookshelves or, you know, books in a category online. And if it's a, like if they're already familiar with, if they've already enjoyed your work, then they're going to be inclined to give you a little more grace in wooing them into the book. But that's not always true. And there aren't very many storytellers who or writers, novelists, whatever, who are so secure in their audience or their sales number that they can just afford to not care or not work hard at using that first page to woo each new potential reader. And, and even still, even if you're like the the most famous best-selling, like just think of the best-selling author you've ever read that you assume everybody has heard of. Even those authors are still going to have readers who pick up their one of their books randomly for the first time. So even if it's A, where they've enjoyed your previous work, that doesn't, they might give you a little bit of a free pass, but not much of one. If it's B, where they had the book recommended to them, then you're on even shakier ice and see if they picked it up randomly while browsing bookshelves or whatever, then you have very little time to convince them, hey, I actually want to read more and they don't just close it. Like if they're clicking through the read inside or whatever that the online portals will let them do, or they have it in their hand. They don't go, yeah, no, put it back. Let's see what else there is. Very, very, very small amount of time. So that first sentence, that first paragraph, that first page, that is your chance, your one chance to grab the audience as hard and as fast as you can and yank them into the story. And it's probably not 100% true that the opening pages are as good as the story's ever going to get. But it's true often enough that most people who crack open a book will judge the rest of the book based on the content of those first few pages. And if they don't grab the reader, that, that reader's just not going to continue further. And you'll hear a lot of readers say, oh, they'll give the book 50 pages, you know, or whatever before they decide whether they're going to finish it or not. But I think that that my personal opinion on that, and I could be wrong, and I know that everybody's different. There's no way I can just put readers into boxes and say, here's the way it is. But generally speaking, my impression is that when readers say they'll give a book 50 pages or 100 pages before they decide to call it quits, they have already decided to read the book. But when people are just browsing, checking, like pick, pulling books off a library shelf or a bookstore shelf or clicking through books that have been recommended online just to read those pages, they're not giving you 50 pages. The, the actual decision of whether or not to give the book a try happens before those 50 pages. So that 50 pages is after they've got your book. <laughs> So you really want to do everything you can to convince your audience that, yes, this is going to be a worthwhile investment of your time and your entertainment budget, and you are really going to enjoy this. So let me show you what you're about to get yourself into. And that is why the first sentence, first paragraph, first page are so important. 
And so I wanted to like examine some first line versus first paragraphs. And I I had a hard time doing picking out examples because, well, first of all, I don't have a lot of books. <laughs> and then it was like, because most of my books are like on an iPad, but I don't read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of nonfiction, not the point here. And the second is I wanted to use examples that I felt were strong because I can say, hey, this is a really good example and give an opinion on it without feeling like I'm trashing the author. And it's a lot harder to do that with a book that I'm like, yeah, this is not such a strong opening. Then I don't, I, I don't want to put that out there in the world. you know. So finding openings that I felt were strong was a little bit of a challenge because even so, like I have um, a bunch of James Patterson books and Will Baldacci books that somebody just handed them to me and I'm probably never going to read them. I'm going to give them away to people. And I I cracked a few of those open and I was like, okay, so these are established authors who have like a thousand books under their belt. And these are not really strong openings. They can get away with it because they have, they, they, know that they're going to have the sales. It's just how how badly do they have to flub before their sales drop off? So I wanted to look at books that maybe are more mid-list authors, kind of like in my um, my level. And so that's what I turned to. And because I didn't have a lot of those, I'm going to include a few of my own. I'm not going to include the author's names or the book titles because I did not get permission from anybody to do this, even though this would fall under fair use, I'm still not doing that. But if any of these grab your attention and you're like, I really want to know what that book was, just email me or get me on Facebook and I'll give you the the authors and the titles. I want to give those that information to those who are going to enjoy it, not as an excuse to, you know, be critical or anything like that. So if you've think, hey, I really want to read that, just let me know and I'll give you that information. So here's the first one. And and what I've done here is I'm going to separate the first sentence and then continue reading. And I think all of these are somewhere in the maybe 100 to 150 word count range, give or take, to give us just, this is the first 100 to 150 words of this book. Okay, no more talking. We could feel the reverberation of the ice-cutting machine through the frozen lake beneath our feet. That is the first sentence of this book. We could feel the reverberation of the ice-cutting machine through the frozen lake beneath our feet. Matt Boudouin was telling me this would be the best ice palace ever, and I was nodding, because of course every year the palace seems better than the one the year before. At the same moment, he stopped talking, and I stopped nodding. Staring down at the ice. Then, in unison, like marionettes with their strings being pulled, they turned their heads to look at Matt. Their faces were blank, but we knew something was wrong, very wrong. And that gets you the first hundred words of this book by an author that only has two or three books out, but I have always found to be a very, very strong writer. Here's what we learn in that opening paragraph. We know that they are in a cold place. We know that they are standing on a frozen lake. We know there's an ice cutting machine 
and we get a sense of the the place and feel and we know that we're in for a either mystery or thriller or some kind of suspense because something was wrong very wrong we also know from reading these first 100 words that we are in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing when telling a story because every single word in this opening matters. It paints a visual, a very strong visual. It is told in the first person, which I found quite interesting in that as I was pulling these quotes out, almost every single one of them was a story written in the first person. And I was like, I never even really noticed that before. So if I read this opening paragraph, even if the subject matter may or may not be up my alley, just knowing that I am in the hands of a strong writer, strong storyteller, this is enough to keep me reading. There was nothing in this opening hundred words that made me go, uh, I'm like, all right, let's see where this is going. So that's example number one. Here's example number two. It had been a good day for the defense. That's the opening sentence. It had been a good day for the defense. I had walked a man right out of the courtroom. I had turned a felony battery charge into a righteous case of self-defense in front of the jury. The so-called victim had a history of violence of his own that both prosecution and defense witnesses, including an ex-wife, were eager to describe on cross-examination. I delivered the knockout punch when I recalled him to the witness stand and led him down a path of questioning that put him over the edge. He lost his cool and threatened me, said he'd like to meet me out on the street where it would be just him and me. Those are the opening 116 words of this story. And here's what this tells me. Now, I don't, I'm not particularly drawn in by what I have read so far, but I feel that none of these words were wasted. What I have just experienced is this, I know this is going to be a lawyer book. I know that whoever is writing this book knows what they're doing in writing lawyer books. And I know that there's going, this is not going to be a cozy. There's going to be something, some sense of danger, some legal something going on. And if I was in the mood for a legal story, I would absolutely continue with this because it's written well and it's strong and I've got that scene already in my head and I'm I, I'm ready to continue. I personally am not, I don't, I'm not one of those people who go and seek out legal thrillers or legal mysteries or anything like that, but I'm not opposed to them either. I do enjoy them. So I'd have to be in the mood for that. But for anybody who is in the mood for that, I think they would find that this is going to be, it's going to deliver based on just those 100 and something opening words. Here is the next example. She has a bad, bad mystery to her. That's the opening sentence. She has a bad, bad mystery to her. I can feel it deep in the hollow of my spook bone, the one my dad broke when I was a kid. My arm is never wrong. 
I poke her with the toe of my boot like I would any animal I thought was dead. An eye flutters open and closes. Not dead. Maybe half dead. The heat's so bad out here, the crickets are screaming for grace. I don't have time for this shit. God, damn it to hell. Why isn't she a dog? She looked like a hurt dog out of the rearview mirror. That's why I jerked my rig around. Well, first I heard God say stop. Then I looked in the rear view and I saw the lump just over the fence. That is the first 131 words of that story. I, that is a book that I've read all the way through. And it's a book that we've talked about on this podcast. So you might recognize it because a lot of y'all will read what I suggest reading. Um, that hundred words tells me this this is just an incredibly strong voice. Like you can tell it is in the voice of the character. And just from those first hundred words or 130 words, we already have a sense of who this character is. We have a sense of the environment and we have a sense of, holy crap, there is a girl or woman dead or almost dead by the side of the road. And now this person has stopped. Like it's just, it's so vivid. You can, you know exactly what has happened just in those 100 words. And you know that you are in the hands of a master storyteller. Clean, clean writing, clean uh, voice. And that's just like, wow. I, yeah, I, well, like I said, that book pulled me in and I read it in one sitting and didn't stop. Here's one that might be familiar to some of our listeners. Quiet, gentrified neighborhood and a cloud-covered sky at two in the morning. A perfect mix for breaking and entering. That's the opening sentence. Quiet, gentrified neighborhood and a cloud-covered sky at two in the morning. A perfect mix for breaking and entering. Would have been, anyway, if the house itself hadn't been lit up like an Omani oil field, every window eating window... Every window eating shadows from the neighboring yards in the same way flare burn off stole night from the deep desert dunes. So he sat in his car, three houses down, hidden in the dark, beneath a 30-foot live oak, watching the front door and debating the options, none of them good. That is the first 87 words that opens that story. And <laughs> that is one of my own. So it's hard for me to just... <laughs> <laughs> be, I was going to try and pretend to be unbiased here. Um, so I'll just tell you what's going through my head when I wrote it is it sets the place of where we are. We, we get the setting. We understand immediately that this character is someone who's seen the world and someone who's probably done bad things. And we know that we're in for a ride, you know, what debating the options, none of them good. And whatever comes next, it's going to be a ride. That's what I get from those first 87 words. And there actually, there are a few words before that in a header for readers who remember the, what, what Taylor <laughs> yes. read that give even more description. Yeah. So we know the name of the character and the, the character's age and basically where, where the character is. Here is the next segment. Eight people had already died by the time Akira Mura showed up at our door fearing for his life. That is the opening sentence. Eight people had already died 
by the time Akira Mira showed up at our door fearing for his life. When the commotion broke out, I'd been on a long-distance call to London, trying to track down an original ink painting by Sengai, the renowned Japanese painter monk of circle, triangle, and square fame. The rumor had come out of the United Kingdom, so I was plying channels to nail down the potential gem for a client in San Francisco who would kill to get it and kill me if I didn't. People killed for a lot less. So that one is the second book, I think, in this. Maybe the author has three books out. I don't know exactly. Haven't followed. But that is strong writing and it's strong storytelling. And from those first less less than 100 words, that is 96 words, we know that this person is someone who deals with dangerous situations and dangerous people. And we know that there's some kind of Japanese, Japan, California connection. And that (laughs) there's death, (laughs) there's death involved. So we're in for a ride, Uh, maybe a thriller, maybe it deals with the art world. We don't know yet, but this is somebody who knows what they're doing, knows how to tell a story and it just pulls you in. All right, here is the next one. Let me just clean up a typo. All right, it's only life. That is the opening sentence. It is, it's only life. We all get through it. Not all of us complete the journey in the same condition. Along the way, some lose their legs or eyes in accidents or altercations, while others skate through the years with nothing worse to worry about than an occasional bad hair day. I still possessed both legs and both eyes, and even my hair looked all right when I rose that Wednesday morning in late January. If I returned to bed 16 hours later, having lost all of my hair but nothing else, I would consider the day a triumph, even minus a few teeth. I'd call it a triumph. That is the first 107 words. And at first I was like, do, am I really going to include this one? Because it starts off a little um, wordy. You know, when we're talking about along the way, some lose their legs or eyes, it's just like rambling, talking. I would not consider that to be especially strong writing for an opening couple of paragraphs. However, what's that what that's doing as you read the second paragraph is it is giving us a setup. He's talking about you know what some people lose, not everybody gets through it and he's setting up for the punchline that follows which is I might have all my you know, limbs attached now, but if I could get through the day without losing anything, that would be a triumph. And you know, okay, we get it now. We see the connection. So it's, it's, that was a very short, quick, open loop, closed loop. And I would suspect that there are many more of those loops coming in this story. And it's, it's someone, it's an author who understands how to set up and follow, kind of like how we were talking about comedians and the way that they do that, except it's not funny. So strong, experienced storyteller. By the time I get to the end of that second paragraph, even minus a few teeth, I call it a triumph. I'm ready to see where this is going. 
So 100 words, you've already got me. All right. Now I'm going to read from The Informationist because we talked about this earlier and how this changed multiple times. And this is how the prologue starts. And I think I this is the one where my agent told me this is the strongest prologue she'd ever read in her very long, lustrous career. And I've been told multiple times by, I guess you could say, book connoisseurs, people who read a lot in this genre, that it's one of the best opening lines. And I, I didn't know that at the time, wasn't going for that. But since we're talking about it, here you have it. This is where he would die. That's the opening sentence. This is where he would die. On the ground, palms flat to the earth, fighting against thirst and the urge to drink from a mud-filled puddle. Blood was in his hair, on his clothes, and beneath dirt and grime, it painted his face. It wasn't his blood, and he could still taste it. They would find him, kill him. They would cut him to pieces, just as they had Mel, maybe Emily too. He ached to know that she was still alive and heard only the quiet noise of the deep forest broken by the strike of machetes against foliage. So reading this now, I go, okay, that was a strong first sentence. I'm a little on the fence about the rest of it. I feel like if I were to rewrite it now, I would write it with fewer words and maybe more clarification. I don't feel that that's super strong writing, but it's strong enough. And the subject matter is interesting enough that you get that sense of this is not, we're not in Kansas anymore. This is something off the map. And that in itself is enough to go, all right, where is this place? What are we talking about? Because we get that from uh, the urge to drink from a mud-filled puddle, puddle. We get that from the strike of machetes against foliage. We know, and the deep forest, we know we are not somewhere that we have seen it a hundred times before. So that's what makes, I think, that a strong opening is not necessarily, the writing is not that strong, but the elements that are included in it are unique, they are visual, they are vivid, and that's enough to keep the reader reading. So now I'm going to move to the opening of the book that I'm working on now that I have changed <laughs> so many times. And will probably change again because I'm still struggling with the cadence, the repetition of words, just not sure it's saying it the way that I want it to say. But here's how the fulcrum opens. Different lies carry different weights. And that made some others. That's the opening sentence. Different lies carry different weights. And that made some lies easier to forgive than others. This lie was an unforgivable lie. Wholesome. Earnest perfect in the way it concealed truth, and Vanessa Michael Monroe read through it the way outdoorsmen read maps. The liar faced her from across a table that had done hard time, edges and legs nicked and worn with character, much like the lunch crowd that surrounded them. He was in his late 20s in an off-the-rack suit, aviator glasses pushed up onto short-gelled hair, bright blue eyes offering no betrayal of the threads he spun. And that is the first 102 words of the fulcrum. And that is an opening that I am proud of because I feel that in a hundred words, I have 
set the stage for conflict. We know from the beginning that this is someone that our main character does not trust. And we have set the stage for character in that the character in one sentence read through it the way outdoorsman red maps tells you that this is some a character who is analytical and perceptive and then we have a sense of where they're sitting we know that it's somewhere with a lunch crowd we know that the crowd has the character of of age and and is weather worn and we have a sense of who this person is that the character, the main character is talking to all in the first hundred words. And because it's all open loop, you want to keep reading. That's my impression, if I may say so myself, of my own work. Um, so it might change again, but when it comes to stories that have opened, I, I think that the fulcrum is probably the strongest story opening I've ever done. Um, and I hope I can finish it all the way through to the end of the book. So that is an example of some first lines versus first paragraphs. And those, well, some of them were more than one paragraph because sometimes paragraphs are really small, but we're looking at like uh, for the first 100 to 130 words, that was the longest. And in every single one of these cases, there's enough content there in those first 100 words that you know you're in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing. and you would have enough to decide right then and there, is this your genre? Is this something you want to continue? Are you interested? And if that first hundred words didn't grab you, then, you know, you might read another page or so, but that those first hundred words in every single one of those examples are, hey, come here, let me woo you. Let me show you what an escape and adventure and... Uh, just alternate reality you're about to enter and then come with me because this is going to be fun. That's what every single one of those openings is saying. And so going back to the questions, you know, is it just the first sentence? Is it maybe the first paragraph, the first page? I'm inclined to say first page needs to be the strongest, but most first pages are not full pages. They're half pages usually. So you're looking about maybe 200 250 words at the most. And that's what you've got to convince your reader that maybe, maybe another page, give it another page, give it another page after that. And that's what makes the openings to books different from every other chapter. You notice that in all of these, some of them, you know, whose head you're in within the first, you know, hundred words, first paragraph or two. That's the top criteria for chapters later on in the book. We need to know whose head we're in, where their body is in time, space, and place, what the mood and atmosphere they're in, and the order of things as they're seeing them, where all the other characters in the scenes are too. And I know I got the first two in the right order. The others might be a little hit or miss because I haven't reviewed that material for a while. Now, do all of these first 100 words give that to us? No, not necessarily, because in the first chapter, that first opening sequence, you get a little more leeway in introducing all of those things because you're starting with a blank slate. But we have enough in those first hundred words to get a sense of whose head we're in. 
get a sense of the atmosphere, get a sense of where each body is in time, space, and place. There is no confusion about any of that, nor is there any confusion about the order in which the characters are seeing what they're seeing. And if you didn't know anything else about how to recognize strong writing from weak writing, strong storytelling from street from weak storytelling, you just kind of like, I like it or I don't like it, but you don't have a way to articulate it. Those criteria of the order in which things are in, if you're being given the character where their body is, the atmosphere and feel who the other characters are, if you are being given those in the correct order, that alone is enough to know that this is an author who knows what they're doing. And every single one of those contains that. And so that is my answer to these questions. Um, but I'm sure there's so much more that we could discuss and other places we could take it. But to do that, we need to hear from you with more questions. So you're more than welcome. Well, not more than welcome. Please <laughs> send them our way and we can either build off of this, discuss it more, or go in a completely different direction based on what it is that you have. All right. So that is it for this week's episode. Thank you guys very much for listening. We will be back with you again next week. Thanks for being here, guys. See you guys.